0: Somebody in the room is going to say early in this process, hey, well, how do you guys do that? How do you guys do that? And what I've got to say over and over is, you know, the things you're giving me here are things that we've worked on with other customers we've had success with. What I really want to do today is completely understand success, whether you solve this with me or with somebody else. I want to have a complete understanding of what success for all of you in the room is going to look like.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Elite Selling Podcast. We are your hosts, Frankie and Griffin. Today we are joined by our good friend, Mark Fettner. Mark is the vice president of the Key Accounts Program at Workday. Mark has been a part of the Majors Accounts and the Key Accounts Program at Workday for almost 11 years now. And today we're gonna be talking to Mark about seeking first to understand, right? Before going into any sort of a pitch or uh, a demo, with a client or a prospect, it's so important to seek to understand your client, their market, their challenges, their business before leading with any sort of a pitch or a demo, like I mentioned. And Mark is really going to jump into why that's so important, the process you should take and and the steps you need to take in order to do that effectively. And some resources Mark recommends to sort of hone this craft uh, of listening intently. So we'll jump into it. Here's Mark. Mark, welcome to the Elite Selling Podcast. How are you doing, sir?
0: Hey guys, doing great. Love it. I've been listening to the show. Every episode I'm caught up. I've really enjoyed it. I'm grateful to be here. And I think what you're doing is awesome for our whole community. I think it's it's a noble profession. And I think you're doing a great job of documenting best practices that'll that'll last for a long time. So thank you.
1: We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, before we jump into the topic, Frankie and I were talking ahead of time. We got to give you a shout out. I don't know if there's another guest that we've had on that has done the amount of research and homework that you have listening to every episode. So we appreciate you bumping up those listener follower numbers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. So appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think I told you earlier, like I would never meet with an executive of a company without having at least listened to their last three Earnings calls, so I wanted to really kind of understand what it's all about. So I feel like I know you guys.
2: Cool. <laughs> You're we know you know well. you we preach.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good segue into today's topic, which is, you know, again, we we prepped ahead of time, asked what you wanted to focus on, and one of the key things that uh, was a theme across your approach, your your process, your business is seeking first to understand. And when we talk about seeking first to understand it's in sales, seeking first to understand your audience, your client, your client's market, um, really coming in there with that deep, deep research and understanding. So you can, um, have a point of view and, and really, you know, you have a, have a good point of view when you go into these conversations. So we'd love for you to develop, you know, kind of continue on yeah, that, and help us understand totally. why that's so important to you. So
0: I think as I've listened to your podcast, right, there's certain themes that, that have come through consistently around, emotional intelligence and and folks, elite sellers being really focused on helping their customers succeed. Seek first to understand is kind of the foundation for that. And Stephen Covey's name's been mentioned a lot here, right? The seven habits and, and somebody who's a guru to me, Mahan Khalsa, uh, wrote a book called um, let's get real. or Let's not play helping clients succeed, which is really, I think Mahan took Stephen Covey's work and applied it to business development and sales. So I think, you know, early in my career, you know, I kind of got started in this in the, in the nineties and got really fortunate early to work for a cool startup company and, and, and did a big deal with a company called O2 in London, moved to London, you know, lived over there. But I was really, I had certain, um, you know, our, our CEO, Carl, co-CEO, Carl Eschenbach talks about folks have qualities and skills, qualities you're kind of given by a parent or a, somebody early in your life who is a mentor for you those can't really be changed. So I had certain qualities that applied well to this work, but I didn't have that many skills. It was all really raw. And and I I went through a period where I kind of a lot of winning 50% of the time, um, which is really not fun. And I think I've, I've got to live in London work with a great company like O2. So I got comfortable with big companies, but then I, I went to a company uh, called Blackball where I just learned a ton and I, Blackball, You know, we sold to big nonprofits, so higher ed, um, healthcare, uh, the big national nonprofits that you've heard of, and those were the the largest of those was three thousand, four thousand employees. So they weren't huge enterprises compared to what I had been doing. But there, I, I had a mentor, a guy named Ron Ellis, uh, who really introduced me to a couple of things. I think that this whole concept of you know slow down early seek first to understand. This is probably like 2004, 2005. There were really two books that meant a lot to me. It was Mahan, uh, Let's Get Real, which gives you a framework to really apply emotional intelligence. Um, and then another one is, it's been talked about on this podcast already, but is uh, Hope is Not a Strategy. And Ron had actually come out of that tradition. Rick Page wrote that, that book. Rick Page sadly passed away a few years ago. But you know, this industry, this this technology, enterprise resource planning, these big uh, transformation projects goes back to the mainframe days. Companies like MSA, Dun & Bradstreet, that's where Rick Page came from. So there's certain things that are always changing and our style needs to change with it as technology changes, but there's certain principles that are always there. And I think Seek First to understand the great thing about Mahan's book is he really really focuses on moving off solutions um, and I, when I first started to apply this I can remember uh, some meetings where that were really really uncomfortable and you know very uncomfortable where you're starting people are expecting you to show up in an early meeting and present right that's what we're all tra- kind of been trained to do and I really tried to follow this because when I read this book I was like this just feels like a lot better way to do this, um, and I tried it in a few meetings where you you start out, hey, if we're having this conversation two years from now or a year from now, and let's let's say I haven't even we haven't even spoken to each other since, what are you going to be saying is different about XYZ organization, and I the first time I ever did it, there were probably four or five people in the room who were expecting a PowerPoint, expecting a presentation, and uh, it was it was a really uncomfortable pause. It was really, and, and but I just let I let it sit. I, I was committed to it, and slowly people start to bring stuff out, right? Well, you know, in that world, it was uh, we have a real, we, we really need a three hundred sixty degree view of our donor, our customer. It was CRM, right? Um, we've really got a lot of disconnected systems. We can't make sense of the analytics. We write those down, and then it would kind of become a flow. And I I just really committed to that over a number of years became really comfortable. So I think what what Mahan's book did for me was give me a framework to apply that that concept.
2: So to double click on that, Mark, just to be clear, the difference is traditional sales or the way we've always been taught, quote unquote, is come in, do your pitch deck, tell them what you've got, tell them about your great products, your NASCAR logo slide, how awesome you are. But what you're doing is you were throwing that PowerPoint away. You're coming in without, of course, you had an agenda, but you had a, a plan of how do I understand where they are today, where they want to go. And you spent the first meeting, however long it took to understand that. And I would imagine you probably had multiple meetings after that to go do more discovery. Is that, is that a fair summary?
0: Yeah. And I think what Mahan talks about in his book is solutions have no inherent value. So your solution is beautiful as it is, as great as it is. It doesn't mean anything except for the problems it's solving. And if those problems are really specific to that customer, then you really make an amazing connection. And this kind of evolved for me over the years. I used to do it with organizations where I'd say, hey, if we're all hanging out at the the company picnic at the end of the year. Let's say we're having a a conversation about a business intelligence platform or about a CRM system. What are we going to be saying was so great about this project? And the key that Mahan gives you is don't go down the rat hole on one item, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But this evolved for me over the years where I started to really commit to it and get a complete list of all the issues before you go down a rabbit hole. I'm going to kind of just to give you an example. I'm just going to fast forward to one an example from just in the last few years from now. I'm not going to say the name of the company, but that same thing I learned back in those days that applied well to a four thousand person enterprise applied really well to 300, 400,000 person companies. And I'll give you kind of an example of how this worked in the room. Uh, I I can remember at this stage, because almost every really large project that I was able to lead, and you're leading a team, right? We're not doing these deals by ourselves. You're leading a team of people. But the deals, the, the biggest deals that I led, I can remember the meeting in the room with a blank sheet of paper on a whiteboard where this happened. Now, I'm not going to do this in front of a C-level executive. This is, I think, one of your guests earlier talked about. You know, if you can, if you can start at the C-level, that's fantastic. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. If you can start at the C-level with a with a value proposition, then say, I, I need to go do this work with your team. This is more the work of the people who kind of own the project. Um, but I'll just give you an example. Another kind of little uh, phrasing I used to use. It's in Mahan's book. Is Let's say we're writing a book on how great this project went. I want to get the chapters to the book. And and in this example, this was a large, you know, Fortune 100 company, and it was the the story. It was more of a human capital management project. Let's say we wrote the book on how we modernized people operations. What what are the chapters going to sound like? And the chapters sound like this, right? Well, we're gonna we've got a really administrative heavy model today. We got to simplify that. And that took a few minutes for that first one to come out, right? One person kind of says that. Okay, well, give me an example. Give me some evidence of why that's a problem. Well, if we make little small changes in one side of the system, it causes these ripple effects in other areas. Okay. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to stop there. I want to keep going. What else? Well, we need more visibility into our top performers. What else? We we need, we need direct access, right? Today, our employees. They can't see themselves. They can't do their own self-service in the system. Okay, great. We've got two or three now. Uh, we need a more flexible organization structure. We're doing a lot of M&A here. We're acquiring companies. It's a nightmare when we have to change these systems. So now I've got three or four items. And I think, you know, what I've learned to doing this is it's key to repeat the list. Keep repeating the list because we want to get access to information that may you know, they weren't thinking about themselves and especially our competitor may not be thinking about. So what I find myself saying in these meetings is, OK, great. Whether you do this project with my company or you fix your current systems with your current vendor, they're a great company, too. What are we going to be saying if I'm meeting with you two years from now was so great about this project? I'm going to be saying you simplified this administrative model. You've got more visibility into your top performers in the company. Now everybody has direct access to their data. We built a more flexible organization structure. What else? If we only solve those things, is something missing? And, and I think that's if, if folks, I'm really just kind of going through what Mahan, what I really committed to in the Mahan model is when you do that, people almost always add more to the list. They start to add a couple of things to the list. And sometimes when you go back and do the prioritization, which is the next step of this, which by the way, it leads to your business case. It leads to everything down the line. They'll start adding a couple of more things to the list. And I think what Mahan talks about in his book is being solution resistant. I'm not going to get pulled down the rat hole of one of these items. I'm going to be committed to getting a complete list because I want to come back and solve your problem. I want to come back and show you how I think my company can address your issues. I'm not saying we can or can't do all these things, but I want to get everything out.
1: Right. And so I think what you're doing by, um, laying out the chapters, right? What are the chapters going to sound like? And you could kind of put yourself on mute. You don't come in with a, okay, let's go down this path or this, you know, you call it like, let's not go down this rat hole when they start talking about the chapters and what else you're framing up, what you're really doing. It sounds like is framing up the requirements that were the required capabilities that they will need for, in order for, for this project to be successful. And then when you're saying, okay, you've laid out all the chapters, if we only do these things, you're basically asking, is that enough to get a deal done? Or who cares enough about that to prioritize this in the this, you know, stack ranks of big initiatives that your XYZ company has, which I think is super powerful. But one thing I wanted to ask you, Mark, about is really like, how do you train your team to not go down those? rat holes or those paths when maybe they get what we call happy years where, yeah. oh my gosh, the customer prospect said something I know we can help solve. It takes everything in me. Like I I'm, I'm, can't wait for this prospect or customer to stop talking so I can come in with my pitch and solve that problem. Like how do you coach your reps or your team to pause, go, put themselves maybe on mute and just ask yeah. what else?
0: Yeah, and the customer is going to try to take you there Immediately. And one thing I was, I kind of missed on Mahan's model is it's the first time, you know, I was an English major, so I didn't really do a lot of science in school. Um, Mahan has a whole section in his book about your brain and how it works. And the, the brain, right? We're still cave people at the end of the day, the way we're wired and the fight, flight mechanism is there. So until you've earned somebody's trust, you're going to win. You're going to win the argument about 50% of the time where your point of view is going to be accepted about 50. We've all been through meetings, right? Where we know we have the best solution. You're presenting to several people and you know your solution is the best, but there's that one person who's just going to resist it no matter what because you haven't earned their trust. So I am going to be solution resistant in this conversation. Uh, the, the example I just gave you, right? I already know there's four or five of these that, that we do great. We do it for tons of companies just like theirs, and I could just dive right in, right? I mean, an M&A model, we're the best in the world at that. And somebody in the room is going to say early in this process, hey, well, how do you guys do that? How do you guys do that? And what I've got to say over and over is, you know, the things you're giving me here are things that we've worked on with other customers we've had success with. What I really want to do today is completely understand success, whether you solve this with me or with somebody else. I want to have a complete understanding of what success for all of you in the room is going to look like. And you brought up a great one, Griffin. this is a great time to repeat the list again, simplify visibility, direct access. Did we miss anything? If we were, if you're standing in front of your CFO after this project is over and we're talking, would they say you missed something? And that opens up a whole kind of different. Okay. Now I got to think about, wow. Yeah, our CFO, they have a little sign on their desk that says, In God we trust, everybody else bring data. I've got to really think about this now. And all they almost always add one or two more things to the list then that later when we go back end up being sometimes the most important things. Now I try, you know, seek first to understand before you seek to advocate. That's what Maha, that's what Stephen Cut. You have to, if you if you're trying to advocate for your solution while you're seeking to understand the human brain is going to get really confused and you, you're going to have about a 50% success rate on that argument winning. Whereas if we take this data back and we think about it and we come back, even if it's three or four days later, and this is not like a Jedi mind trick. We're trying to really understand because I think what Mahan talks about and what you know, intent counts more than technique. So, I kind of got to a point in my career where I was like, I'm going to do this, and if this doesn't work, I'm going to stay committed to this. And this, if this is not the right way to do it, I just may not be in sales because I, I I didn't feel great about the way I was doing it before. And this felt really great to me because I was totally tuned into helping customers succeed, whether they end up buying it from me or not. And, and I kind of walk into meetings. That's my that's my mental thought. I'm going to help these folks succeed, whether they do this with me or with somebody else. And that just leads to it, right? It leads to trust. It leads to, and then it also leads to uh, bad news doesn't get better with age, right? I can go back and look at this list and I just gave you a short list, but it might be 12 or 15 things that we later went back and prioritized. What's the impact if we solve it? What's the effort if we solve these? So now we've got this great list and I might look at the list and say, you know what? I can sit down with my champion at this point and say, There's three things on that. There's 12 things on this list. We do great. And when we show up to present this, I'm going to give you examples. I'm going to give you customers that are doing it. There's three things on this list that I don't think we're ever going to do. Should we keep talking? Should we keep moving? And 90% of the time they say, wow, if you can do those 12, don't worry about the other three. We'll figure that out together. And now all that, Thing all the all the fear that you have of, of the, you know what's going to be what's going to come out of this does this really fit our roadmap? Those things get so it's a great qualifying exercise too. It's the best qualifying tool in the world. Seek first to understand. Um, yeah. So
2: how do you? So it's 2023. We're in the middle of kind of a software downturn right now, but doesn't sound like it on your team. How do you? How do you coach people through this time of saying you need to slow down to speed up versus Hey, we got to close deals. We've got quotas to hit. How do you get people to really buy into that? And what are you telling people during this time?
0: Well, you know, I think um, I've heard some of your other callers, right? Downtimes are, are not, they're bad. They're bad for people in the world. But they, companies are looking to consolidate with less partners, get more, more of their technology and, and a smaller number of strategic partners. They're looking to do more with less. So if you have solutions that optimize and create capacity, this is a great time, but it's even a more important time to, you know, I think I want to talk a little bit about how that concept of seek first to understand evolved for me, because a few years of really doing this and really staying committed to it and having success with this and feeling great about the partnerships I was creating and the outcomes. Uh, there was a, there's a Ted talk by a lady named Julia Galef uh, where she talks about scout soldier mindset. And when I saw that, when I saw that, when I watched that TED talk, it completely struck me as wow. This is exactly kind of what Mahan taught me, but a great just um, a great metaphor for it. And she she it's not a sales thing she's talking about. She's talking about you know, how people make decisions and why we're so why we're so um, polarized these days in this country and scout mindset and soldier mindset, right? So what what I'm talking about seek first to understand is you're in the scout mindset. You're trying to get an accurate picture of reality, even when that might be unpleasant or inconvenient. When you're in soldier mindset, that's when you're selling. And we're all trained. We're trained to be great soldiers, trying to make our ideas win and other ideas lose. And that's the drive to attack or defend ideas. So the human brain, until you've earned the trust, the soldier mindset can be really problematic. So I, I try to teach you know, the, fo- the folks I work with, just be aware, right? Awareness and choice. Am I in scout mindset or am I in soldier mindset? Am I truly trying to understand their needs, whether they do business with me or not? Or am I now trying to advocate for my solution? Which I, I believe if you're scout mind, right? Just like in a battle, right? The scout does not want to discharge their weapon. They want to understand the battlefield. They want to create the battlefield that we're going to fight on. They want to go back and report what's out there. So we can kind of dictate the terms of what the um, battlefield is going to be. And then I teach my team that if you've done that scout work, if you know all those things, you're going to be the ultimate soldier. I mean, you're going to be in a room saying, you know, Bill, you told me you needed this exact thing. Now this is exactly how we're going to deliver that for you. Sharon, you know, you told me how you had this disconnected model and you needed to solve that to be able to do M&A, you know, take a, an acquisition from nine months to three months. This is exactly how my solution is gonna do that for you. So now we've, we're have we building, I think, durable champions here that are gonna last because I'm not even kind of getting into each of these items. We're gonna build a business case around, right? Each item we can talk about, you know, where would this show up in a report if we solve this? Where would this show up in a number? Um, So there's a whole other kind of discipline around. But I think at the end of the day, scout soldier mindset, being aware of of what you're doing, being aware of, of what you're triggering, right? In the human brain. Now, once you've built a champion this way, then you can go back and forth because you've earned trust and now you're on their side of the table. A lot of this is about in a genuine way because you truly care and you truly want to help them succeed, getting on their side of the table. So now we're, We're working as a team because hope is not a strategy. What it gives you is, we've seen this movie before, right? All these big transformational projects. uh, They're like, you know, a, a Hollywood movie. They follow the same patterns. And at the end of it is the crucible. And hope is not a strategy talks about the crucible. And the crucible is where things get hot and they get difficult and challenging. We all know at the beginning of a sales cycle, right? It's about logic and reason. These customers are saying, we have this big initiative, we wanna do these things and it's all happy, right? We're gonna we're gonna um, do this project and then feature function and things like that matter. And we have to get, this is a way to kind of raise out of that. But when we get down to the crucible where they're actually gonna make this decision, all that can go out the window, right? All software solutions start to look the same over time. That's a principle, that's a rule. And what happens is it's all about risk and it becomes about cost and whoever wants to kill your deal. And I just live with the mindset. I think it's because I'm, I'm probably scarred from just kind of being so focused on net new for 20 years. Someone always wants to kill your deal. And so everything I, we're, we're thinking about in the scout mindset is to prepare ourselves for the end when it becomes about risk and cost. And we have to be the one who's helping our champion remind everyone here are all these amazing things we're going to get from this project and that we have to we have to make them durable. So when they're in that meeting, a lot of folks on your podcast have talked about the people who are selling for you when you're not there. A lot of this is about how do we arm them in the best way. So when it's time to be the soldier, we're like invincible. I get excited. I could talk about this all day. So
1: No, I love it. Uh... <laughs> That that what you just went through around building trust and and you know you're basically stuck until you build trust. I do want to come back to maybe you have a specific example of where this scout soldier mentality or this approach where you you continue to ask the questions around what else and you're really doing that digging and you're seeking to understand like. How, if you, maybe you have an example of where that specifically in your, as a individual contributor or in your current position, uh, where that was successful in building and establishing trust that helped you navigate a deal. And then, you know, maybe we come back to the last, one of the last things you mentioned, which is, uh, something us sellers, we don't like to think about, which is someone always wants to kill your deal. We're very, I'm very optimistic, right. And, in, in my, you know, everybody wants what we sell. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's something that a lot of sellers, especially today, struggle with and don't really think too much about.
0: I think that's changing a little bit, Griffin. I mean, I'm a little bit scarred by the earlier. I've been at Workday 11 years, and in the early days of companies moving to the cloud, somebody did not want that to happen often. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you're right. I think that's changed. But you know, if you're if you what it depends on what you're selling. I mean, if you're selling something that's new and creates new value. If you're selling something that's going to rip and replace somebody else's solution, somebody likely has a vested interest in that. And they're not going to let themselves be known early
2: mm-hmm.
0: because they, pro- they think this will probably never get anywhere. This will probably never happen. And that's what hope is not a strategy is great at. You've got to build a stakeholder. And now if you're selling something that crosses a lot of different functions, a lot of different stakeholders, you know, managing the org chart is a lot of what I did as an individual contributor. And what I teach my team is, we've got to score the org chart and hope is not a strategy. It gives you a great methodology for that. Who's for us, who's against us. Because if we are ripping out somebody else's solution and putting ours in, that's a zero sum game between us and that other customer, that other solution. And they're gonna fight for it just like we're fighting for it. And they're gonna have somebody who's fighting on their side who may not reveal themselves until the end when they throw in a big risk card, right? I mean, you know, payroll, payroll's mission critical. Um, That is something where people will throw the risk card and say, it doesn't matter if the CEO wants to do the project. If somebody in a certain mission critical function says, this will break our business, um, it's not going to happen. At least it's not going to happen when you thought it was going to happen. That's another angle. Let's go back to your other question, because I think this, For me, seek first to understand went through kind of three waves. Like Mahan, seek first to understand before you seek to advocate. Get off of solutions, be solution resistant. Intent counts more than technique. Like I I, I could be a terrible whiteboarder, but if my intent is I'm truly saying I'm here to help you solve an issue, whether you solve it with us or not, they'll forgive all that. And if I repeat the list over and over, We kind of get in a dance together um, where they're really sharing a lot of information. So it's discovery. That's not just for me. It's it's kind of a joint uh, process. And then the kind of last I was in a meeting with Accenture a few years ago and they brought up roses, buds, thorns and roses, buds, thorns. Now I think is it's just a design thing. All of this is a design thinking mechanism that I've learned. um, And I'm not always the best at, but my intent is really pure. So my intent counts more than my technique. I can have bad handwriting. And I, and as long as my intent is, is, is right, it works. And I'll tell you an example of roses, buds, thorns we did with a customer. When I first, when I heard that, I said, like, oh, that's way better than my, you know, tell me about the book or tell me about the company picnic. You get in a room, hey, what are the things we want to preserve? What's working great here that if you do this project with anybody needs to keep working? Those are roses. What are the thorns? What are the challenges today? What are the pains, right? And what are the buds? What are new opportunities you can't even think about because of the current state? And one of the first meetings I did this in, I was already really comfortable with intent, my intent. One of the ladies in the room was an artist and she got up and she drew a rose, right? And she drew a really beautiful rose and she drew a thorn and she drew a bud. And we just went from there, right? Give me the thorns. What else? What else? What else? What's great. We don't want to show up and talk about how their baby's ugly. Right. And I did this back in the early days, too. But roses is just such a nice way to talk about what needs to be preserved. And so now I've got this complete list and I can document it. And in that particular example, she became right. She got into it and nobody can really resist that meeting, especially if you're saying whether you do it with me or somebody else. There's nothing to resist. So we're getting the truth, and it's it, I find it an easier way to punch your ticket to the next level in the next meetings. Now, well, some of the well, how would we measure success on this particular item, right? Um, well, nobody in the room knows. Well, who would know, and when can we go talk to them? And now they know that I'm not just going to show up and throw up the old-fashioned term, right? I'm gonna we're going to do this thoughtfully. And when we get front of your C-level executives, we're going to distill this down to three things. We're not going to show up with this whole whiteboard we did. We're going to distill it down to the top three things that matter for this initiative. Because I know that when you get in the crucible, you're going to be competing with other projects. You want your business intelligence system. You want your CRM system. You want your enterprise, you know, complete finance system. You're going to be competing with the supply chain person and you're going to be competing with the merchandising people. And then life sciences, the folks who do the drug trials, they're going to have a project, right? So, and this is where I think following this methodology and you, you talked about engagement plans. And I think in the last episode, Griffin, I, we could go on for that for a long time. Cause a lot of this feeds into that, but we've got to be the expert to our champion on how to make this purchase on how to do they only do it once or twice in their career something like this right we're doing it seven or eight times a year whether i end up winning or not i want to show you what i want to kind of show you what's going to happen it's we got to, and you got to tell customers sometimes we got to slow down in the beginning and we'll be at a speed up later but you're going to be competing they don't often realize how much they're going to be competing and i've i've had the good fortune to end up in a couple of those meetings where i saw them realize oh wow competing with something really big here and it was kind of shocking to them. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to go too deep on that. I don't know if I, but the roses, buds, thorns is just such a simple metaphor. And if you have, if your intent is right, your handwriting can be bad, but I'm repeating the list. And we're kind of almost deciding together. Hey, Hey, I, you know, I think these guys can probably help us get there. Especially if I'm really direct after that meeting of here's the ones we do great. Here's the ones we don't do so great. Maybe we bring a partner in for this. And here's, here's one we just may never do. Should we keep going? Should we keep going? One of the things Mahan gives you in this book, Let's Get Real, is a lot of ways to have hard conversations in a soft way, which is a really important part of this, right? How to how to get just whatever your worst fear is, just say it. Yeah. If you say it in a soft way, we can then move past it. He calls it slowing down for yellow lights. If we feel a yellow light, we got to find a way to say it get it out there. And nine times out of 10, your criteria for judging yourself is way harsher than your customers is.
2: That's a good point. So you mentioned, um, the opening, you mentioned prioritization to kind of put this all in a bow. Would you, is there a framework that you use or that you teach your people on, on how to take your, your customer process prospect through this process, just so we can kind of picture this and imagine it as we go through each step.
0: Yeah, I think, um, people, this it's just a design thinking exercise. You've had a lot of other guests on who talk about, who've used the term helping customers succeed. I want to be focused on my customer success. This is just one way to do that. Some people just like to take notes. I can't sit in a room with people just taking notes. I have to put it on the whiteboard so we can all see it, so we can all talk about it. So I have worked with, you know, my teams and I've worked with other folks at Workday to think about roses, buds, thorns or something else. There's actually a I can send you guys the Luma Institute has a number of different ways to do design thinking. Some people like sticky notes. I like the whiteboard. Um, But I think what I will do, what I do, I think talk about is I'm not going to, I don't have super dogmatic discipline rules, but I really try to avoid ever doing the old, we just need to do an overview. We just need to see an overview. I just, you're putting your teams in a bad spot. The, the people who support you winning with sanity is a big thing we think about here. Like, so in some ways, you know, there's a lot of sports analogies, military analogies. We're like the director of the movie. A great, a great um, elite seller is like the director of the movie who's putting their people on stage in the best position possible. And part of that is demanding, in a in a kind way, that we do this discovery. If we're gonna, if this meeting is gonna be valuable for your team mrs customer we've got to have time we've got to have we got to get a representative group i'm not saying you got to get 30 people on the phone with me or in a room with me we got to have a representative group who understands this initiative whether you do it with me or somebody else we got to have that understanding
2: so you mentioned and it. sometimes mentioned they'll it. say no right yeah you mentioned it a second ago mark but just to play out a, a scenario here i've i've researched you guys i know what you do i've been around for 30 years what do you say back to that I don't need. I don't need to do discovery with you.
0: Yeah, I, what I what I say is this: you've told me in just a few conversations that this initiative is really important to your company, really. And this is something you probably only address every seven or eight years. That's in my world. Maybe in your world, it's this is new technology you're talking about taking advantage of. I want this meeting for you and your team to be as valuable as possible. So we've got to have some human interaction. I've got to let get my team just two or three people, but two or three people from your side, and I've got to really be able to ask a few questions about what success looks like for you, whether you do it with me or not. And, I'll, and and if they resist that, I'll say, all I need is 30 minutes. You give me 30 minutes and the meeting will be way more valuable for you and your team. And it's rare that people really resist that, right? If, if I'm putting it in the term, I, I guess it does happen sometimes, but it doesn't happen that often that people won't give you and then you have to decide, right, that might be a sign that you're in the wrong place. Say, I'd be...
2: argue I'd argue that if uh, they're still resisting after you put it that way, then you might not be talking to the right person, mm-hmm. which is okay. Because at the end of the day, what I like about what you're talking about is we have frames, frameworks, we have systems, we have processes, which I think are extremely important. But to, to boil down what you're saying, it's about intent over everything else. It's, it's how intentional are you going to the room? And I think as salespeople, we get in the mindset of, okay, if I do X, then I'll get Y. If I do Z, whatever the analogy is, but what you're doing is you're just having that human to human conversation of how can I help you understand if you should use us or not. And if you don't want to use us, it's fine, but at least we had the conversation.
0: Yeah. And I think, man, I like what when I think back about all these meetings I've been in where they started slow and I've done this with some really you know big companies that are you know big brand names in the fortune 50 and it's a little intimidating to be in a room with a lot of people and to not show not start presenting it's really it's really hard I really had to develop that over a long time to get comfortable with it and it starts I want to just If people try this and think about it, like roses, buds, thorns is a great way to do it. And it seems kind of hokey. I know some sales leaders would be like, I can't say that. But you can say that because it's a human thing to say. and We're all human beings and it's about empathy. And this is a way to show your your EQ. Our our co-CEO, Carl Eschenbach, has this great saying, lead with your heart. Right. He talks about his dad who uh, would tell him every night. Hey, your, your heart's not the biggest muscle in your body, but it's the most important. When it dies, you die. So always leave with your heart. And roses, buds, thorns, whatever you, however you want to call it, moving off the solution and being 100% focused on them and their success, it creates a human conversation. It starts slow, but eventually people start to add something. Well, and you start with roses, right? What's working great today that we got to make sure we don't break if we do this together. Or if anybody does it, and okay, that's easy, right? They'll give you a few of those, but then they immediately want to talk about the buds and the thorns, right? They want to go to that because that's what we're here for and that's what we're here to talk about. And I think another, I've seen customers take this and do that. We, we did one recently, Frankie, where we got a great list of buds and a great list of thorns and only like one rose. And then one of the IT leaders in the room got up and drew an X and a Y access. Impact over here, effort down here and a grid, and she started leading the, okay, let's take each of the thorns and buds and put them on the grid, right? Which ones have the highest impact if we solve them and, and effort so we can start to see the low-hanging fruit? So there was a book years ago, the book, the TV, the movie, or the book, the t-shirt, the movie, I can't remember there, but this is kind of the foundation of everything because this design thinking, this seek first to understand becomes your executive summary. It becomes the, the uh, platform. And we have to document it. So it's hard work, right? I mean, there are easier ways to try to sell. I don't think you're going to win as often. But as so we have to now take all these roses, buds, thorns, or whatever you want to call it. We have to put it in a nice package and a nice power. We have to document it. It doesn't have to be perfect because our intent is right. So don't, don't get caught up on it. I've got to have the most beautiful power. But it doesn't have to be the most beautiful but it has to exactly represent what was on this, what was on those sticky notes or what was on the the uh, whiteboard. And then we share it back. We do a readout. Did we get it right? What did we miss? And now when I'm distilling that, when we are distilling that down to three things, when we're getting in front of a C-level executive, that's how the, you know that's how me, a great meeting starts. Clarity. I mean, another great book is we could talk about, but I know we're I'm, I'm going a lot of different directions is Daniel Pink. Uh, to sell as human. He talks about the new ABCs of selling, attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. And this is a great way to attune, right? To get in attunement with a, with, a, with a company, with a champion. And then we've got to distill it down. We've got to make it clear into three points. So when we get in front of a C-level executive, here's what we, here, here's what your team has told us, are the goals of this product? And I've been in front of c level executives. They're like, wow. And we always stop and say, what did we miss? What did we miss in those conversations? And they often they'll say, you nailed it. And sometimes they'll say, I would add this to the list. So we're just building. And we're, we're getting access to information that knock on wood, if our competitors aren't doing this, they're never going to have. When we get to the crucible where somebody, <laughs> this, the whole thing could fall apart, right? And to do nothing. And or some other project internally could win.
1: Right, and and I think these are some key themes and topics throughout this entire episode around roses, buds, thorns. Seek to understand. Uh, often the bestseller uh, shows up with nothing in their bag, right? And continue continuous discovery. Okay, we've got this list. What else? What's missing? I love that that question that you had around. If your CFO was to see this list, what would he or she say is missing? I think that's such a ser- that's a really powerful question to ask. And you've already given us some really good resources, um, like the book Seven Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, would love if you have two or three as we wrap, kind of key books resources that you recommend your team to other sellers um, to you know improve improve their craft their skills.
0: Yeah, well, totally. You know, let's get real, Mahan. Um, I'll send you, Mohammed has a new business now, so I'll send you, anybody can reach out to him. Uh, I love the checklist manifesto. Um, I, I really live by the engagement plan. Griffin, you mentioned it on the last call, and we could talk about that for hours. The engagement plan matters a lot to me, and I think it's got to be a, um, it's got to have off ramps. Daniel Pink talks about off ramps where we have decision points where we acknowledge that we may not keep doing this together. And that's okay. And that just leads to truth, right? That leads to people telling you the truth. Checklist Manifesto. And i talked about Daniel Pink and Hope is Not a Strategy. Those are a few of, and I really, you know, I don't, I don't, I probably need to read way more uh, sales books and stuff. I read more history books. I find a lot of analogies and metaphors for what we do in there. Lawrence in Arabia. Scott Wolf is an amazing book. And I, I think what Lawrence did, what T.E. Lawrence did it back in World War I um, has a lot of hallmarks of what what we're doing. We're trying to get on on the on the side of the table with our customer. We're trying to turn our champions into legends. Have them do legendary things that we can go back to and say, "Wow!" There's. I mean, I live for that. Right. The beautiful thing about Workday is it's it, all the employees use it. It touches everybody. So I can walk into a customer's retail outlet or into a. Uh, a branch, or th- and with a workday shirt on, and people say, "Oh, workday, we use. I love that." So I live for that. Right, I live for that outcome. That the champions who fought and bet their career on these projects end up being legends in their company. That's what I want to do. I think it all starts with that. Seek first to understand before you seek to advocate.
2: Beautiful. Yeah. Turn your champions into legends. All right, Mark. Final question: How do you define an elite seller?
0: Well, I think y'all have defined it really well on these calls. I think, you know, it's many different personalities and different styles, but there's certain principles that are consistent. Humility is huge. Uh, we talked about the podcast, How Leaders Lead. That, I listen to that religiously because it's CEOs. It, it is CEOs. And I've had the good fortune to interact with a few of those CEOs through this career. And what you're going to hear on there is humility, self-awareness, they don't have all the answers. They're vulnerable. They ask others for the, for the answers. So humility is a superpower in sales to me. Um, curiosity. I just get so excited about learning these businesses. And I think that's part of that intent is whether I end up doing business with this company or not. Um, I want to really understand the business and try to be a part of uh, helping them do But It's just a fun thing to be. I mean, when, when I go in a, cor- a big corporate headquarters of a of a brand that we all know and love, I get such a heightened excitement, especially the first time. Like, I'm Jack, I live for that. Um, empathy, we talked about. And then motor, right? I mean, motor is something that's really hard to measure, but I think you've heard on your other episodes and just the great salespeople I know, they just have an, an unbelievable motor and drive. Like, it doesn't have, they don't have to be told what to do or, or, or how to roll. It's good. They have to be coached. Everybody needs a coach. Tiger Woods has a coach, right? Um, Tom Brady has a coach. Everybody needs a coach, but, but they, don't, they don't need to be driven. And I think uh, there's a great term that our vice chairman, Phil Wilmington uses. They're able to command the resources of the organization. So the customer sees them as the person who is bringing in the experts, bringing in the executive sponsor at the right levels. They're com- they're, they have command of that organization and how they're gonna serve that customer.
1: I love it. Humility, curiosity, motor, drive—they command the resources. Spot on. Well, we appreciate your time, Mark. Thank you for jumping on today's episode. And Thanks, We'll make sure that if any anybody wants to connect with you, they can they can reach out over LinkedIn. And uh, thank you again for sharing the resources. We appreciate it.
0: I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be a guest.
2: Amazing. Thank Thanks, you. Mark.
1: Happy to have you. Okay. Bye,
2: awesome. bye. Mark, thanks for jumping on the podcast with us today. Really appreciate your time. One of my favorite things that we talked about today was being intentional over technique, throwing away the quote unquote playbook and coming in with your PowerPoint and your slides and thinking about what does a customer need to take away from this meeting? How can you help them? How can you sit down and map out their roses, their buds, their thorns, and get a real understanding of where they are today, where they want to go? And then another great thing within Roses and Buds is what's actually going well. Give your customer or prospect some credit. And that goes back to being intentional over your technique. So just an amazing episode with so many fantastic resources from books to podcasts to people to follow. Um, and, and the last thing I want to end on is Mark talked about what, is, what does a CFO say that is missing? Or what does the CEO say that is missing? And asking those intentional questions before you step away and start selling your product. So just an amazing episode, really brought the human touch and human connection into the world of selling. So Mark, thank you for joining us. Be sure to go check him out on LinkedIn and uh, we'll see you next time.